1: The devil, are you? This is the two shot podcast, episode 86 with Kevin
0: Bishop. Someone's after my job. Uh, that's it. This is episode 86 of the two shot podcast. You heard it there. Um, I hope all is well. So, what's going on? This is the last one for a bit. We're just gonna have a little pause, a little break. Um, so what's going to be happening in the interim? Are we bringing you new episodes? Not at the moment, no, but we will. We'll be back. So what's going to happen then? Well, producer Griff is going to get his splicing scissors out and uh, we're going to be bringing, next week, we're going to be doing a Line of Duty special. So uh, it's the show that everyone's talking about at the moment in the UK. So we thought we'd snip together uh, a full episode featuring Vicky McClure, Aidy Dunbar, Tony Pitts, Neil Morrissey and Maya Sondi. I'm going to keep doing that. We're going to go back through the archives because there's people joining us all the time and there's no way they've listened to all 86 episodes. So we thought we'd introduce some of our favourite episodes and maybe do like little mash like next week and keep that going for a bit. So uh, there's still going to be stuff coming out. You might have heard it before. You might not have done, but it's a good time to dive in. Now, speaking of diving in, let's do this. This is episode 86 with The Irrepressible. Mr. Kevin Bishop, and I think you're going to really love it. I'll see you at the end. End of the pier. Mm. Variety. Mm. It's just a different generation now.
1: But that end of the pier thing, I mean, if you think about it now, like, I don't know about you, but I mean, I remember when I grew up, the end of the pier stuff was almost like uh, it was popular in the early 80s and then, and then it became naff. And then no-one was sort of interested in that. But like I was saying, like it'd become, it become a dying, a completely dead art form. And if you look at all of our, I don't know, like Ant and Dec are sort of almost there. It's almost like more and Wisey sort of thing. But those years of being on stage and the fear of being on stage in front of a live audience and knowing what works, what doesn't from night to night, and you build up your skills from that, you just don't see that anymore.
0: But even that stuff that was on telly, you know, you're... The Les Dawson, the Mike Yarwood, the Mork and Wise. Mm. When it transferred to telly, mm. it was still out in front of a big audience, so it was still theatrical, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was all live studio audience. Well, we, we that's a, That was a... I remember
1: when we were doing Porridge, I was... I don't saying it was a live studio audience, and I didn't. I was thinking, was the original Porridge live studio audience? But it was. They all were. Was it? Yeah, like, the original Porridge was live studio audience. And so we did ours in front of a live studio, and... I remember thinking during that, like nobody ever really wanted to do live studio, audience, especially for the last fifteen, twenty years. No because
0: one's... it was it's considered a bit downgrade. Yeah, but yeah. there's
1: something there's something very skillful about working an audience with a script, that live format, and you only get it really with radio and stuff. And after porridge, I was thinking, you know what? I'd love to do a live studio audience that was that wasn't mainstream, that was more, you know. But would that like phrase or Black B- books was that kind of like yeah. much more sort of i don't know but but i think it well, i think it's time personally to do it again because, what like for a
0: resurgence
1: yeah cuz there's an energy that i don't know what it is like when we're on when we're on camera and on a set and we're doing a single cam you know show like like most comedies nowadays you know, yeah. you've got your crew and that's it and you don't get no one's really thinking about what you're doing you know they're thinking about their job And I think that the wonderful thing about the audience is that you get that instant gratification. You know right there in that moment whether it's any good or not. And if it's working. And the energy level goes
0: goes
1: to such a point of focus that I I feel like I do my best work in front of a live audience.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Just because of the pressure, and I respond well to that. Like um, Partridge was filmed in front of a live studio audience, but it would, but they had the fourth wall there, so yeah. they you could that you, you couldn't they couldn't see the audience, but the audience were watching them live. And and Steve said, you know, it was a fantastic feeling to be in that studio and hear the laughter. Yeah, we could hear it, and we'd be knowing that we we were we were doing a good scene.
0: Well, especially when the first series was like a chat show. Yeah, itself. So you had it there straight away. Yeah, yeah. When we first started talking about you coming on here... You, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which we've been trying to talk about talk, for ages. Talk yourselves <laughs> out of, yeah. 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 And you went, oh, no, I can't, because I'm, I'm <laughs> off touring with Damon Alban, and I thought you were joking. <laughs> <laughs> so, what? Kevin, I know yeah, you've got fingers on so ties. second album, Kevin I, Damon. How did this come about? Um,
1: right, well, I did a play at the Young Vic with uh, Harry Enfield... And, um, and... Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Once in a Lifetime. It was Harry's first, um, play that he ever did. And, um, shortly afterwards, Harry phoned me and he said, Look, um, uh, Damon has phoned me and he said he wants me to... Being gorillas or some cartoon character, I don't know. I said, "Look, no, I'm not going to Japan." Call Kevin Bishop; he does the silly voices. <laughs> so, uh, so thank thanks, Harry. He, he he passed my number on to Damon Albarn, and I got a call, and it was like, "Hello, it's Damon, um,
0: Damon Albarn from from Gorillas." Just just to clarify who I yeah, am, and I was yeah. like,
1: "Oh right. and I just, just didn't even mention Blur you know, I'm a massive <laughs> fan of. And I honestly thought it was a piss take. I thought it gonna was, say, if I someone thought, rings is, you is up. this like Rob Bryden or someone yeah. smucking about. And um and I just didn't believe it. It was really embarrassing. I was like, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> Who is it? Fuck off. And um and yeah, and so they said, look, we've, we we need someone to be the voice of two D, which is the lead singer of the cartoon band. Yeah. So whenever two D speaks that's that's me. That's my voice. And um it was kind of someone else had done it before for a long time and, and uh and he wasn't doing it anymore and so I had to kind of Step into his sort of voice. Did you have to mimic the original voice? Very, yeah, not, not completely. They didn't want it to be exactly the same, but they just wanted me to have the same intonation and, and capture that same spirit in his in his voice, that same character. And um, and so I did. It's me and Phil Cornwell. Corn, Phil does um, Murdoch. Yeah, and
0: uh, he does everybody, doesn't he? He does everybody. <laughs> I mean,
1: it's, it's it's so brilliant being yeah. being in a in a booth with with uh, Phil. I mean, he's so funny. And and yeah, that was it. And so the great thing about doing a job like that as an actor is that you suddenly become part of this world that you've always fantasised about being part of, which is being a being rock, a rock band. star, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> which is... Because um... we know all actors actually just want oh, to yeah, be in a rock yeah, band. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I probably would have been better off doing that. But, um, or, well, I <laughs> would have been dead, actually. But uh, <laughs> I definitely would have been dead. I'd have been a dead rock star. I don't know if I'd have been any good, but I definitely would have been dead. And... Uh, yeah, so, yeah, and, and, and I just
0: went off on tour with him, and... But if you're recording the voice... Yeah. ...and to the animation, why did you have to go on tour? Well, because what I do and what Phil
1: does is we do the stuff that Damon can't stand doing, which is interviews, you know, because Damon's all about the music and all about the creativity, yeah. and he doesn't... I think it just frustrates him getting bogged down with meaningless questions that aren't relevant to the to the To product. the music, yeah. yeah. exactly. So I think that's how, I mean, I think that's how Gorillaz came about, you know. It was like, how can we do something that's a virtual band and we don't get stuck? So we just make music and we use who we want and we don't need necessarily a front man who has to go and do it, even though Damon very much is the front man. And um,
0: Well, it's a smart idea, really,
1: if you want to... if you oh, it's wanna, genius. If
0: you want to just create your music yeah. or stay out of the spotlight type of thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's actually genius. And um, so we just go on and answer all those sort of banal, mundane questions that Damon
0: doesn't want to answer, you know. So that's why you went around... Did you go around the world or just to, just to Japan?
1: Uh, I've been on tour with... I mean, we did a lot of stuff here in the UK. I've been to Belgium, with have been to Los Angeles... I didn't get to go to Japan. I don't I know what yeah. happened there. I was gutted. Um, I don't know why, but it was what was brilliant about it was I just gen, they they really made me feel like I was just a member of the band, not like oh there's some actor walking around. <laughs> it really was amazing. It was like, it, I, and I got to experience it in full being a rock star. Just to say that. We might as well retire. It was brilliant. It's game over. Well, it? I've sort Does of it get peaked. Any better? I've worked with the Muppets and I've worked with gorillas, and
0: I, I don't really need to do anything else. I'm done. That's everybody's childhood dream. Be a rock star, work with the Muppets. That's it. Can we talk about that? How did the Muppets start? Oh, dear. We need well, to go back, don't we? We need to go Before back. Before we do go back, I don't think I've told you. We have you. to have a sound effect for this, to,
1: for it to go back in time. Sure we can put one in, can't we? Yeah.
0: You know that. You have full editorial control over this episode, and we can beep and we can talk about anything all right, we want. Yeah, yeah. I Big Tom I a lot of beeping. <laughs> yeah, <I> can imagine. <laughs> and he'll come round and take a, a few snappy snaps yeah, a while we're talking. Right, Just okay. don't don't let really it put you off. Mm. But no, let's go back. Let's talk about childhood. Was <laughs> yours a normal childhood, Kevin Bishop? Um, no, not at all.
1: Um, I thought it was quite normal because. Well, you
0: just do, don't you, when you're you a kid? You don't know anything, does? Yeah, I? you
1: just think that. So you accept your reality, as it were. But I'm from a very normal family, and there's no showbiz in my family. I mean, I've got a very talented family. My mum's got nine brothers and and four sisters, and they've all had a million kids. Irish busy, yeah, busy, busy, and um, and it's- they're all very they're all they're all singing, all dancing, and all and all very funny, and so. Like as a kid, my I think my mum was just like that. This kid is either either on some kind of spectrum or he is talented and. <laughs> well, you're quite hyperactive <laughs> as a child. Yeah, massively. And I remember my mum used to get really offended when people go, "Are you are you hyperactive?" <laughs> and I, and she'd go, "No, he's not. There's nothing wrong with him." And uh, and it was like you know I was clearly <laughs> hyperactive, but I've somehow managed to rein it in. And use it to my advantage. Or channel it. Channel it. Yeah. Channel it into... Well, I'm still hyperactive, but I mean, just channel it into some kind of, I don't know, focus and obsession. And my focus and obsession when I was younger was was mimicry but my mum's a mimic as well she oh, does is she? She goes, yeah is that where it comes from well she we, she would meet people in the street and and she would go oh hello Mrs Canterbury how are you oh yes yeah, so good and then there was a woman say I knew your grandmother and I said and as she's walking away my mum would be taking her off as she was walking away from her and I remember thinking as a kid well that's weird that mum it's almost like that woman's still here <laughs> and and she really gets inside the nut of the person and that's what I do I like to get It's not just a voice thing. With me, I can do people by accident. Yeah. It's like I watch them and don't even know that I'm profiling them. And then I get inside their head. And for me, that's the the best bit. You say what they would say as opposed to, oh, you just sound like that person. Because I don't really think impressions are are that interesting or funny. But when you say stuff that that person would say, then it becomes a, oh, right. That's uh, an interesting thing. Did you start doing teachers when you were at school? I could do them all, male and female. Yeah, yeah. We had a French teacher called Miss Harkoon and, uh, and, and she had this voice that was like that, with up up in the sky and she would say, you oh, know, you have to, uh, okay, I'll see you. <laughs> and, uh, but I would, I would mimic that as a kid and, and I'd get the car sitting up, standing down and then, and then I would, we locked her in a French cupboard one and we drove her to pretty much like breaking point and there was a stock room. And we locked her in a stock room. And it was just bedlam because I, I, I knew it was very difficult for me as a kid, especially as a child actor, because I was bullied at school quite badly because I was on the telly and I was I was off on set. So the kids were like, fucking hell, this, this little prick. So you were in and out of school? Yeah, I was, I was never there. I was, just, I was properly working all the time. I had a much more successful career than I did as an adult. <laughs> I literally was never at school. I was, yeah. What age did you start working? first professional gig was at the sound of music was the sound of music in Sadler's Wells when I was 10 it was an open audition
0: was that something you wanted to do or something that your
1: your mum and dad sort of went oh go on no channel this Kevin I said to my mum I watched the Goonies and I said mum how do those kids get in those films and she said well I don't know and I think she was talking to a friend of hers she said we want Kev to Kev wants to be in films and we done it like E.T. and I watched all those movies, those brilliant movies in the eighties with yeah. kids. And it just and I just remember thinking, I want to be, I want to, I want to be an actor. I knew it probably four years old. Well, that we, is what we I all wanted, wanted to do. be in the
0: Goonies, though, didn't we? All wanted to be in the Goonies. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. They were brilliant, them kids, weren't they? They're
1: amazing. I mean, any sort. Of, all, and we were brought up in. well, I was brought up in the eighties of Spielberg using really brilliant kids as actors and. And I remember, you know, things like, uh, you know, film Big and... Massive films, you know. Um, do you ever and, see
0: Henry Thomas's audition for ET? You
1: must have. Done. Yeah, oh, it's God. phenomenal. And he tells oh, him he's got the part right there at the end. Yeah. And then that was the bit. I, I was suddenly like, "Oh, it's great when that happens." Because how many times has that ever happened to you?
0: <laughs> Never. Like, I, I've
1: only had once or twice. You know, where you've, you and then and I mean, you know, sort of thing with me. They would say it, and then but at the end, I'd still lose the job. somehow. So I to start
0: texting halfway through an audition, <laughs> and I've gone, "Oh, this isn't going my way, is it?" Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Oh, I actually oh, went into one auditions. audition, and they went very early on. I hate talking about myself, but they went, uh, Greg uh, <laughs> Parkinson looked at my CV, and, and looked up and went, like the disease. <laughs> <laughs> and I went... Only right, more debilitating. Right. And they went, do you want to read? And I went, I'm here. Wow. Oh, awful.
1: It's, what always gets me is the tactlessness of, of, you know directors and especially sort of if you ever work with a, a director if you're doing an audition with someone who's just got off commercials and they're really fucking they're doing all the commercials and they've not really done a lot of scripted comedy or scripted drama and and they sort of talk to you like you're this sort of product in a commercials <laughs> casting and they never get the best out of their actors do they i had that yeah so if the hero always weary of commercials the hero comes yeah yeah, what are you talking about. Yeah, okay, do this. Well, it says on your CV you can do Bangladeshi. You know, it's that <laughs> sort
0: of to, talking to you like you're a piece of shit. You know? Do you find auditions? Did you find auditions? I mean, you must have found them easy when you were a kid. I
1: no. I mean, I I've never. I, it's weird. I, I don't think I'll ever get the hang of them because I just find them. I find it just that that in you have, before you it's such an insecure driven thing before you walk through that door, you have to be everything and everyone to people you've never met before you have to guess and I think that for me, I just gave that up a few years ago i I gave up trying to be the person that I thought they wanted me to be that that you know that ultimate
0: gamble was that a conscious decision yeah it
1: was because I thought i'm i'm I think it's irrelevant. Really, of like who I am when I walk in there, and I, you know, I, I, for me, it was all about being that character. I've never walked in, being the character. I'm not a method actor. I don't do that. But I, I feel that sort of. I think I read an article about Tim Spall. He said that we, when he stopped caring, that's when it all started to to click for him. Yeah. And I, it's not that you don't care. It's just that. Don't beat yourself up because you can't
0: be everything to everyone. And also it's about prioritising, I think. Yeah. Going, well, I can do this. but And sometimes you, you worry about the preconceived ideas that people have of you before you go in. and And, that they, and they do.
1: Of... And they do have preconceived yeah. ideas. And I understand why they have them because it makes their job easier. If I was a casting director, I want to know... What, who he is and what's his thing. It makes my job easier. So when when you go in and they say, we thought you could play this character that's exactly the same as that character you've just played in that other thing that's just been on television and you try and play it another way, they get annoyed because they think, well, hang on, no, we just, do, do, we just do, want do, you to do the thing that you do. yeah, that
0: we saw you do.
1: Yeah, which is, which is probably, the, I think, doing the same thing over and over again is probably the shortcut to success, I reckon, in our game because people need to put you in, in a that, box. Inner box. Yeah. You know, Jack Black said something once. He said, "He said, What's the secret to your success?' And he said, you, you have to be very specific.' And if you think about the big, big stars, they've picked a thing, stuck with it. Whether they can do anything else or not, we never know because they've only done that one thing. But it's the thing where, oh, that's what you, you, this guy is. The guy, I tell you, you, could be good. Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's the, the, the guy. Who does get get, that, get Jim Carrey in and do the, yeah. the bendy thing. He does yeah. that. Yeah. You need that that person that ticks that box, and I don't think I've ever really sort of. Well, I don't even know who that person is in me. I don't know who that one. You know, I get a lot of Cockney stuff. I get a lot of you know, like geezery sort of roles, but mm. that isn't really who I am. But that's the that's probably a lot of my perception, and, uh, and so I'm always trying to sort of change that. But sometimes I feel like oh, maybe I maybe just give them what they
0: want. Uh, what's the point? <laughs>
1: Well, what's the point? They don't. I'm what's just the pissing them
0: off. I'm trying. Oh, fuck off! He's Doing that. What's he doing?
1: What's he fucking doing?
0: You know. So your mum said, right? Our Kevin wants to. She didn't yeah. say that. Our Kevin. She wants didn't say to our be- Kevin. She's <laughs> from. Yeah, she's <laughs>
1: from London. Yeah.
0: <laughs> our Kevin wants to be in pictures. What can we <laughs> do? Check him. Check him. Chip bread,
1: fat chick. No, is he fuck? No, he's going on telly. Put him on television. So she um, saw an audition for Sound of Music, or did you see it? No. This is how it happened. She phoned a friend. Um, not on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and something else. And, uh, and and they said, well, kids need, a, kids need an agent. Actors need an agent. So she literally got the Yellow Pages, opened it up on agents, t- t- talent agents, and the only children's talent agent in the Yellow Pages was Sylvia Young's. Right. So she took me to Sylvia Young's in Marlebone and walked into the office, and Sylvia Young was sat there in the office and, uh, and she said, Hello, what's your name? And I said, oh, it's Ke- Kevin, Kevin, she said, can you sing, darling? I said, um, yeah, yes, I, I can sing. She went, sing, sing a song for me. I went, oh, I, haven't, I haven't got any, I haven't got anything prepared. She went, sing Happy Birthday. I went, Happy Birthday. She went, you're in. Um, <laughs> it's an open audition tomorrow. It's, it's uh, Sound of Music, Sadler's Wells. <laughs> and, uh, and I literally turned up there and there were, it was an open audition. There were 2,000 kids for the role of the Von Trapp oh kids. Oh, my God. Um, and I went there for four weekends... Uh, and the and the the crowds were getting less and less. It was the first one was actually like yes no yes no no you're dark haired dark eyed you'll never be a German von Trapp get out it was literally like that you know you know 1990 and um, Hitler and, youth Hitler youth yeah, Hitler, Hitler youth, youth yes. net in you'll be you'd be saved you'd be saved you'd be saved and um, and then suddenly. I was sitting there on the floor, and there was a, there was a group of about there was there were three groups of kids because you have to have several groups of kids because you're 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 you can do so many days as a child actor. Yeah, and then someone put a microphone in my face and said, "How does it feel to be Kurt in uh, The Sound of Music?" And I just said, "Oh, I forgot the part." And it was on. It was news round. No way. Yeah, and it's on. And there there is that footage somewhere of me. Uh, this, that, that was my first ever professional we've, gig. you have
0: got to find that, Griff. Get a link up to. Good luck, Kevin Bishop on Newsround. Good Round. luck finding it. Good luck finding it. Um, I'll give John Craven a call. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> John Craven. Yeah, he'll <laughs> find it
1: for you. Um, so yeah, and and that was my first professional job, and and that was it. I just I, I was never going to do anything else. That was it was a done deal. And I was just a grafter. I just I was just. I was just grafting.
0: I You're just doing wanted anything to, like commercials. I
1: just wanted to be out there with grown-up people, earning money and doing what I loved. Do your mum and dad support her for this? My well, my dad wasn't so keen on it because I just think it frightened him. But my mum, I think my mum felt like maybe there would have been some missed opportunity in her childhood. But they come from a very sort of you know quite a poor background. Thirteen kids in a in a council house in. <sighs> You know, in in Orpington, and uh, and 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 she was offered a scholarship at, at Rada when she was sixteen, was and she? her nan wouldn't let her do it. No, she said she said you will type, and that was the end of it. End of dreams. So said I think what? You will type. You my will nan type. Said, you will type. And that's what my mum did. She went to London, and and she was a typist for a while. Different generation though, Cave. Yeah, but it was like in those days. I mean, you can't. I mean, it just wasn't a thing. Like we can't. You, we don't. You know, maybe Michael Caine being, you know, one-off. But, I mean, most of the actors and there, you know, they're all like that, you know. It was, you had to come from a very sort of and you'll privileged never background. you'll never you'll work. You'll never, never work. It'll never be enough. we never pay the bills. I don't know. Who knows why it was, you know. But yeah. It, that, was, that was her thing. And my mum, I actually, the real sadness for me is my mum actually is very funny, very talented, and could do all the things that I do. She just didn't have the opportunity. So I'm grateful for her for seeing it in me and going, you know what? I'm not going to let this slip yeah. with him. I'm going to yeah. give him every shot. And and if it wasn't for her sitting there with those, with those other crazy stage mums, because they are crazy. If she wasn't, she didn't, she didn't do that because it must've been hard for her to do that. <laughs> so Muppet Treasure Island. So, just get back to that um uh muppet treasure island was we all we knew in our first audition was that muppet treasure island was going to be a remake of treasure island so we thought yes barbados it's going to be two three months in barbados fucking brilliant um and then we found out it was all being filmed in shepparton i was oh shit <laughs> and then it was like it's the muppets that came out Later, oh, you didn't even know. So it was we the didn't even know. Point. We didn't even know. And then I met Brian Henson and Martin Baker at the um, Creature Shop in Oval Road, Camden. Uh, I sang for them, and I auditioned for them. I was the first person that they saw out of thousands. And I was the guy, (laughs) the kid that they ended up choosing. My God. They say it on the commentary. Yeah. So they said, Brian's like, we went through like two and a half thousand kids or something, and to come back to the first kid that we saw. (laughs) 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 But uh, I was just so sort of green at that point. I mean, I'd I'd been in Grange Hill, actually. I had a bit of experience. I'd been in Grange Hill for two years, which I got sacked from because I was naughty. Explain naughty. Um, well, there was, Com- a, there was comedy, a string of events. Comedy awards naughty. Uh, yes, pretty much. Not drunk, right? Like the comedy Awards. but um, but we'll but get, we'll get on to that a later. A string of events. <laughs> I, I just what it, what the thing is with with with, uh, with Grange Hill, I was from a normal sort of state school, and you know we played football at lunchtime. And we had rolling fields, and that's that's you know I had a lot of energy. And then to go work professionally. BBC Elstree, which has no playground, no you know, nowhere to let off any steam. Mm. Back in the nineties, you know, you got a canteen that we shared the canteen with, with uh, people from Top of the Pops and uh, and EastEnders, and they uh, sit having jacket potato with like Gabrielle and uh, and you know June Brown, <laughs> and Doc Cotton, yeah, <laughs> and uh, Brian Harvey from E17. Uh, but um, you know those it was those sort of very different days where kids, I suppose, we had less rights, if you like. And my, I would be picked up in the morning at five a.m. I had to go through my via my to Mile End via East Ham to pick up another child actor, and then from Mile End on a coach through um, to uh, Elstree, and I didn't get to work till nine o'clock in the morning, having left at five a.m. I mean, already that's a long day. Yeah, and I'm thirteen, yeah. twelve, thirteen, and then I've got to do that on the way home. So, and and I've got to do four hours tuition. With a, in that day, in the shooting day, in the shooting day, so you, your my my working day was crazy. Was, was triple what the other actors were doing. The teachers. Also, that wouldn't be
0: allowed nowadays.
1: No, it wouldn't. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't. I can't see that being allowed No. Now. But we would then. Um, I just. I basically. We had a green room which had a pool table in the middle of it and no room either side of it. Couldn't even take a shot. So I was just. Just naughty. I was a chimpanzee basically, and uh, they they fired me. They said, "Kevin, we just we just don't know what to do with you anymore. You're just so naughty. You've you've got to go." And my dad said, when they fired me, my dad was mortified. He said, "Only my son could get expelled from a fictional school." <laughs>
0: <laughs> In a way, it's quite an accolade. Well,
1: yeah, but I remember all the kids were going, oh, man, you've been kicked out of Grange Hill, man. Oh, my God. You're, uh, that's it, you're finished, man. You can't believe it, you'll never get back. You'll never get back. And I was like, that's all right. I like, Something will come up, and I got the Muppets. and oh, it, On and the back of that? No, I, I, I literally, on the back of it, so I pretty much got expelled. Months later, I'd landed the job with the Muppets. And it, if I hadn't have been kicked out of Grange Hill, I never would have had enough days to go and film with them. I just wouldn't have got the gig. I'd have been all my days would have been taken with them um, So it was a Grange blessing
0: Hill. to be a bloody caged animal in that fictional school, otherwise it, that wouldn't have happened. In its it?
1: own way, it was yeah, it was fate. I was meant to be a complete twat on <laughs> Grange Hill and get fire, drive them to distraction and then, then fire me. Yeah. <laughs> and what age were you at, at this point? I was twenty eight. No, I was I was um I was thirteen. Right. Yeah. And so were you thinking of that?
0: Were you thinking... Yeah, of course. Well, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't, yeah. Were you thinking... Well, the other kids
1: time... weren't. That's why they didn't get fired. <laughs> the other kids were just
0: really nice. Tell that to Zamo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was still there. Yeah. In the toilets <laughs> with, yeah. His, yeah. with his yeah. smack. Smacked
0: up. Yeah, I mean, you think about Grange Hill now. Mm. And another beat... It was brilliant. Young people listen to this who have no reference at all to mm. Grange Hill. Mm. But can you imagine a kid's show t- talking about school kids
1: doing Mm. heroin
0: now it wouldn't happen would it at all i know
1: and i just think that i think that that's wrong because you know i mean we really really do need to sort of address stuff i mean i have this conversation about with regards to comedy all the time as well like our comedy budgets are getting slashed all the time, cut back, and ITV now aren't actually aren't doing, doing any, any comedy. Yeah. And I just think, well, hang on a minute. And they say, well, you get your laughs from the soaps. Well, I, I don't sit
0: there laughing at soaps, which also is actually them. kind of derogatory to, to the soap yeah, operas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not there. Well, no one got to... into
1: a soap opera so they could be a. They could make jokes, did they? Well, maybe some did. Well, I can think of a few. Well, I can think but, of a, but, a few. Yeah,
0: <laughs> probably best not say it's all right. We can beep it out. But I was thinking about the relevance there of of what should be said about today's society and did you see have you seen Man Like Mo Bean uh yeah I have seen this Guz Khan and Andy Milligan's Mm. show they've just done series two only four episodes but each episode one's like all about knife crime really Mm. absolutely fucking relevant stuff yeah that Every, look, all the youngsters should be watching today. Mm. And they're doing it in such a way that isn't patronising at all. And I never thought... And Look, I've never gone back to Grange Hill in those days, but I never found it patronising mm. as a kid mm. at all. And kids are so sharp and they're so on it and they know if they're being talked down to. Well, you should, well I just find it. you should just never patronise your audience. No. And
1: I just think that's what every channel is guilty of at the moment it's like they just patronise their audience like this whole thing about you know putting shit stuff on television on Saturday nights because they think well that's what people want no it's not people will watch whatever's on so
0: you've got a duty to educate them and also audiences want to be challenged you know Mm. if you see a drama they go oh well Let's not spoon-feed the audience. Mm. Let's challenge them. And you know those dramas that come on, mm. and you go, well, this is a cut above because it's asking something from an audience. Mm. Look, there's a time and a place for everything to be spoon-fed, and people want to be washed over sometimes. That's fine. I, you know, how many times have you turned on the telly? and go, I just want to watch a bit of shit? I just want to watch crap. I just yeah. want to watch some crap. Yeah. I'm just exa- yeah. I'm mentally exhausted. Yeah. I just need so to wash over me. Yeah. But then when something incredible comes on, or even mm. something actually... It's kind of mediocre. It's kind of all right. People go, oh, it's amazing. Mm. Well, it's actually not amazing, but it's because you've been spoon-fed a load of shit for ages. Anything that's a little bit above the precipice you just of not oh, oh. shit, you go, oh, God, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So we can't... I think that's a brilliant rule, not just in comedy or children, to not patronise the audience. Mm. Yeah. Well, just don't don't ever underestimate
1: people's own intelligence. And, I, and that, for me, is, is kind of... It's kind of everything, and I'd have those conversations all the time with producers on sets of comedies and whatever. and And, I, and they're like, oh, "We can't say that that joke because no one will get that joke." And I like, don't don't assume. No, let's not let's not lower our bar because we think that there's an audience that won't get it. And you know, the amount of times you have this conversation with producers who go, "Look, look, look, we can sit here all day squirreling out really intelligent comedy, but you know, at the end of the day, no one's going to watch it." And we go, "No, but the right people will watch yeah. it." Yeah, and then. And then through that, people will aspire to watch other. I mean, there's people that was, for example, like Partridge is not. I was just everyone's about say cup that, of tea, yeah. You know, and and why is it not their cup of tea? Because they watched half an episode whilst while they came from the pub one night and didn't get it, and and then they just binned it forever. And now they're watching it again on Netflix or whatever, and they're going, actually, do you know what? I'm I'm I want more now. Yeah, I'm cleverer now. Yeah, you know, I want to listen. I want you know, I've got much more intellectual taste in comedy, and and I'm I'm just. I'm just bored of this sort of you know constant stream of of low bar comedy that we're hit with at the moment, and, it, and it, I just feel like we, me as a as a, as a brain, I just need more, I just need more, and I feel like we're in a we're in a time now where it's really shit being a comedian at the moment. It's shit writing comedy at the moment because you can't actually, there's no comedy without conflict and you're not allowed to make conflict anymore because you might upset somebody yeah. or you might, you, you're going to sing, you single out those people. I mean, people just say to me now, they go, why don't you do the Kevin Bishop show again? I was like, are you going to fucking laugh? Like I couldn't put one of my sketches on telly. Not anymore. I'd be tried at the Hague, <sighs> yeah. you know, if, if I, if I release my show now. And I think that's a shame because really nobody got killed from watching my show. You know, people are, ki- are dying now out in the streets because everyone's taking everything too seriously. Yeah. Everyone's taking everything too fucking seriously. That's that's my take on it all. We all need to calm down. Yeah. And there is no, like, there's no comic
0: relief anymore except for comic relief, but Peter, which is no comic relief. Well, let, you know, I mean, I did watch a bit of that, and I think it's... What's happened? I mean, it's amazing. Let's always money for charity. I'm mm. all up for that but can we just raise the bar a little bit, mm. please? Mm. But also, you're talking about, you know, conflicts with sort of producers about people not getting a joke. Mm. All right, if 99 people don't get it, not a problem. But if one person gets it, that's yeah. incredible. Because I was thinking, we've been talking about the Partridge stuff, the new stuff, the new stuff, which I am think's incredible, but it's the small little throwaway lines that I think are just incredible. Yeah and maybe somebody else didn't get it but I got it well it's those it's that human nuance that he manages to pick up yeah. you know it's that that's what makes it
1: brilliant because the wonderful thing about Partridge is that even though we can tell he's a dickhead we can
0: also go oh I sort of think that well we can i well, never say it no, but, but we I empathise. in the back with of it. my head I feel a bit like that it's like I was talking yeah. to Tom Davis a few weeks ago yesterday yeah <laughs> podcast world isn't it yeah. I don't know when this is going out. and we can beat this yeah Do you, find, do you ever get so frustrated that you just think, why bother? I'm not going to bother with I anymore. do.
1: I get, I get so frustrated, and then what I do is I talk to other writers, and then I realise that my gripe is every writer's gripe. And I just think, if you don't get your backside kicked as a writer, then you aren't one. It's simple as that. You know, you have to earn your stripes, and you have to have... You have to have stuff that means so much to you and and you hold so dearly to your heart you have to have it chucked away by someone who doesn't get it and and that does really hurt, but you have to get back up and write something else or keep that in the back pocket and 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 when you can face opening it up again and rewriting it, then do that it's just a, it's every writer i mean even even the best writers if you talk to. I mean, God, if you talk to anyone, anyway, if you talk to Steve Pemberton about, you know, his experience, you know, they've all had massive knocks yeah. by the same people that have given them their, their big breaks. So it's, it's well, just an again, ongoing you know, This
0: comes up time and time again on the podcast. We learn by failure. We yeah. learn by not getting exactly what we want well, straight I, away. I, that's the thing. I feel like some people sort of pussyfoot around actors, and I always get this thing are saying,
1: "Look, you know, I don't want to sort of, you know, I don't want to say like, you know, say a yes yeah I want to say it's yours, but I just want to, you know, you're my favorite. You know, I just want to know you're my favorite person for this role." And I'm like, "Look, mate, I've been an actor for thirty years. I am used to getting no's. It's fine. I've heard no more times." than yeah. any other person <laughs> in any other profession,
0: I I hear no more than I hear yes. So and don't worry I, about it. Don't say that. Yeah. That's the, one of the worst things you can I know, say. I know, And I know cast and directors listen to this podcast, so it doesn't matter, but... Yeah. You, you know, don't say that, or stress when you're in the room. It's, yeah. It's going to...
1: Oh, gonna God. Out. Well, I, I I always find, for me, and I'm sure a lot of actors probably find this, that I'll go into a casting, and I go in there thinking... Why would I? I mean, why would they want me for this? I mean, no one's going to want me for this. And I go in there, and and I actually walk out sometimes having met the director as well. And I think that is in the bag. Never get that job. No. Never get that job that I I actually thought that is mine. And it's funny because when I was casting for something that I'd done, and then we had actors come in fant- and they were all brilliant. I, I was actually blown away by how brilliant they all were. And. Shocked at how unprepared a lot of them were actually, as well, which made me feel good about myself a bit because I thought I was very lazy. Like how, how,
0: when you say unprepared, how unprepared?
1: Like unprepared in like some of them hadn't even read it. I don't think there was (sighs) sight sight reading it, you know. Wow. And uh, because I never want people, I would never want anyone to be off the page. I think that's ridiculous. I think it's absolutely ridiculous because because when you learn something and you get off the page, it's stuck in your mind. You've got to work really hard to unstick and that. You're kind of married to those choices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've made choices mm. and and you've and you've
0: you've you've taken them too far, and uh, and then you're, you're not as malleable as you were before. Did you see a, ch- a change in that when it all happened about that off the book thing? Because this this comes up a lot as well. With, well, I think with actors. I think for a start, I think it's completely unfair. I mean, especially I
1: lived in Los Angeles for a bit where, you know, you get six auditions a day. And yeah. they expect you to be off book for all of them. It's like, who do you think I am, Rain Man? Yeah. Like, I can't. I can't come in here off book on six scripts, six shit scripts. Yeah. Where it's like the worst dialogue ever. You know the, You know that the worst dialogue is the, the harder it is to learn as well because it means fuck all basically. You can't
0: you know, connect with it. In you any can't way. connect
1: with it in any way. It's just not how a person speaks. Yeah. And and you've got to learn six of those in a day. And I always find that you know that there's a sort of. Real intolerance to actors if they are not off the page. And it's like, look, hang on a minute. We have got lives. You know, a lot of us have got children, (laughs) dare we? We've got kids and, you know. So I've actually got a life. Yeah, and and I'd like a wife who wants us to take the bins out and stuff. And like, you know, I, I, you know, and when I get a script, it's like, love, drop everything. I've got a, I've got a script. I've got 14 pages to learn. Yeah, yeah, the house could be on fire. And it's like, you just got, it's got to fucking wait because. The audition's tomorrow at 10 o'clock in Soho. That's how it comes in these days. It's like, look, here's the thing. It's, there's, there's 11 pages of dialogue, 10 o'clock in the morning. Can you go to so-and-so and read
0: the thing? And what time is it? 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, so you know, all right, well, I'm getting to bed at 5 a.m. <gasps> yeah. You know, because I've got I've to prepare for what this. What do you do in that situation? Do you ring up and go, I don't have enough time to do this, and I'm going to do myself a disservice if I go in there. Well, give a half hour sort the, of read.
1: The, the, the great thing, I think, about being an actor in the UK is you, can, you have that person, that personable sort of relationship with the casting directors here where you can go, they, can, they can say, look, we know Kevin hasn't had a lot of time. Maybe we can shift it to four o'clock. Maybe we can do this. Don't worry. We've sent a note to the director. He knows that Kevin's only just got the script. Or, or something like that. Whereas in LA, forget it. Yeah. It's like they don't even ask you. They just say name. Look to the right. Look to the left. Okay, who's your agent? Okay, go. That's it. And if you and blow then, it, and then get out, and then get out. Yeah. Like you know, don't don't shake my hand. That's the other weird thing as well. Like hand sanitizer okay, out. Okay, if you don't mind, I'm not going to shake your hand. If that's okay. Start you know. how to how to start a meeting off well. Yeah. Don't, don't don't touch me. Yeah. And I and I always find that weird from casting directors as well. Like. If you haven't, if there's, you know, there's casting directors that you, they're not really in your little circle or they don't really court your agency yeah. or whatever, because I find that a lot. I've heard some casting directors just will not phone a certain agent because they don't want to deal with them. Fair enough. But when you actually meet these casting directors you've never met, if they don't put you at your ease and, and, and make you feel like they're genuinely, they genuinely want to know what you're about, if they don't do that, they're never going to get the best out of their performer. And that always beggars belief with me. I'm just like, can you just not be fucking nice? So, because I'm about to do a comedy thing here, and I'm not stand-up, so how do you expect me to be relaxed enough to perform? Like, I just feel like a rabbit in the headlights here because you're being so cold, and it's almost like, okay, impress me. It's that sort of thing. Yeah. And I always feel like you're kind of... Because I I think as well, with a lot of auditions, the minute you walk through the door, you've either got the part or not anyway a lot of Well,
0: then, no, I spoke to... I think it was a writer who was sat in and uh he went you know in the first five definitely yeah. in the first five minutes yeah. and it's like well if you know stop stop it. Stop it. Yeah. We, in a way, we all know. Well well also I I would actually really respect the upfrontness
1: of someone going, Look stop, 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 Kev, Kev, Kev. Do you know what? You're it's, not right for this. Yeah. But that was wicked. And if I can think of another part that's right for you I'll get you in. It was great to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Because let's not waste anybody's yeah, because, time. Because when I'm walking out of there and the guy's been really nice to me, because he likes me as an actor, but I'm not right for the job. And yeah. I don't hear from him for, like, for the job for fucking two months. Or he likes you as a person. And he likes you as a person. You think you've got the job. And then and then by the time you've... After two weeks, you're sitting there thinking, I'm a terrible actor and my career's over. You know, And I don't think people understand... The I don't I don't think I understand it, how sensitive
0: and how soft most actors are. You know, oh completely. Even the ones that. that come across as tough as nails inside the well, you know, their stomachs like a washing machine. Yeah, of you course, know? of course. And I,
1: I was always shocked when I worked in plays with really big famous actors and how crippled with stage fright they would be. You know, like actors that you you just you you've gone through your whole life thinking. That is the man. I've never seen
0: them shake. Yeah, and they're just—they are—they are, they are solid who you want to be when yeah. you're a grown up. Yeah,
1: and then you literally see people, you know, doing reiki on them in the in this, in the wings to get them on the fucking stage because they cannot put that foot out onto those lights. And that to me is just like Jesus. We are. Why on earth do we do this? Business, are we that sick and twisted? <laughs> Why would someone who has that kind of fear about going on stage do it? It's like jumping out of an aeroplane without a parachute yeah. on. That's what it looks like from the wings, you know. Do you ever think, oh, just, no, I can't, I can't anymore? Well, I actually, I had a weird experience because we did Lady Windermere's fan last year um, at the Vaudeville. Cathy Burke, was Cathy Burke yeah. directed it. And it was the first time I've done a play where I didn't have any nerves at all. Not even press night or anything. And I, and it was horrible. Because I thought, what's happened to me? Like, and well, I realised... Where did they go? Why I, was that? Do you know what? I have no idea. I have no idea why I didn't have any nerves. But I, I didn't like it. Because because it's no, the nerves. We need, we need that. Well, I need the nerves to remember my lines. Yeah. I need that focus. I need to hear my heartbeat in my ear from, from the nerves to and focus
0: no, me. And I'm, I'm worried where that next line's coming from, I don't know what's coming out of my mouth. Yeah. Oh, it's there, it's all right, it's yeah. Fine. yeah,
1: I need that. I need to be in a state of terror to have any focus whatsoever. I
0: think we all do, though, don't yeah.
1: we? Yeah, I think that's why we do that's, it. That's the drive, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think, I think it's that, It's that as an actor, it's that, it's that drive to be present. Because we're never present. We're never in this exact moment in time. So we're always kind of like, Doing something extreme to make us in, to put us into that. Here I am right now. It's just this, and I, and that's what I think. Being an actor on the stage for me, that is the epitome of being present. Is when you're on stage under those lights yeah. with an audience, and all, all there is is this fucking moment in time. And that's what I
0: love about it. Which is unique. It's never going to be exactly the same. No. ever again. And you know, it's different every night. Yeah, because. If you are
1: present and you are focused in the moment, it can go anywhere. The performance can go anywhere, you know. I mean, I've had people come out of plays and say, that was really funny. And then the next night people come out and go, God, it was so sad. You know, it's just incredible. Well, that is incredible. And
0: the danger of it as well. Yeah. Do you have that moment on stage and you're not kind of, you're kind of there, but you come out yourself and you go, I could do anything right now. (laughs) Yeah. And and you do. <laughs> but, but you know, I could do I could do anything anything. Right now, <laughs> in this moment, and no one could stop me yeah. until the stage manager. It's my line. Sorry, I've got, yeah. I've got to
1: kind of do something. Well I remember I remember we did uh, we did a play.
0: Well have you heard this thing and this I, I get sent messages a lot on social media about oh Craig, have you heard about this? a casting director won't see somebody unless they have a certain amount of followers. Mm. And I, near enough, always text back going, I've never heard of this casting director. Yeah. And no casting director worth the salt that I know yeah. would ever ask that. And, mm. I, and I think I sent it to Shaheen Beg, and she went, not on your Nelly. Come on now. Mm. That's just mm. silly. Mm. Nobody would do that. But yeah. that's worrying for the younger generation of actors that they think mm. that's what they have to have. Mm. And I say time and time again, it, it's not about that. It's yeah. never been about that, and I don't think it will ever be about that.
1: Well, we are in. I mean, I remember when I first started as an actor. I remember you had three genres of performance. You were you were you were either a stage actor who yeah. would occasionally dip into film, or you were a television actor who just did TV. Yeah, or well, you know that's all you did, and. And so there was this kind of, we were very much in our categories, and you know, and and, and I remember, do you remember those days when you you, you didn't do commercials because it would fuck up the, the the kudos of doing television or yeah. theatre or real theatre? So you could yeah, you did a commercial just to get you know, but it was like oh, I don't want to do too many commercials, you know. I remember it's all right
0: for Ross Camp doing his <laughs> front fiber advert, yeah, wasn't
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bless him, um, and. Uh, so yeah, so there was, it was very specific in those days. You yeah. didn't cross the streams. No, you know. And, and I remember sort of people saying to me, "You should do stand up." And I made a conscious effort not to do stand up because I thought, "Well, that will put the kibosh on my on my acting career." And I want—I'm an actor. I'm not stand up. Well, not and anymore. Not anymore. It's almost like. If you want to work in, if you want to be a comedy actor, you have to be a bloody stand up yeah. as well. You have to be. And I think that's that thing now where there's a lot of terrible stand ups out there because they're trying to sort of keep their acting career afloat. How know? do you
0: feel about that? Well, I don't know. I mean. Because remember, there used to be a time where if. People wanted to do, like, a Channel 4 sitcom. Mm. They would go to Edinburgh Festival, and Mm. then they'd get picked from that, and then they'd get plonked in a... Yeah. And, I mean, it's changed a lot, obviously. Now. Yeah, well, I I think people often ask me, they say to me, how did you
1: get into it? And I say, well, I started when I was 10, so I can't really give anyone any advice, unless they're a 10-year-old kid. Yeah. And, um, but for me, I, I always said, if I hadn't been a child actor, and I hadn't had the amazing support from my parents that I had, I... Would have got in through stand-up because it's the to a working class person that's the only access, accessible route. Yeah, because let's face it, as a working class person, you can't fucking get into this game. You can't, you can't do it. I mean, you know, you and you and I are quite a rare exception. And I just think, fucking hell, like especially with the writing as well. Like, like every, all the writers that I know at the BBC are all bloody public school boys, posh boys, and I think well. You you can say you're a writer because you've got enough money to fuck about waiting for years to get a fucking writing gig. I couldn't say I was a writer with your success. Yeah. Because I have to be a fucking painter decorator at some point. Because you have to subsidize it. Yeah. I mean I can't I can't live. I can't live sitting there in the never never of maybe one day I'll get a script picked up by my uncle's mate you know at bbc it just it wouldn't it wouldn't work and so there is that uh, you know there's a massive massive gap between working class opportunities no. and those opportunities for you know public school kids and do you and think it's got harder i mean i think well it it's is. impossible yeah i mean in the old days you'd get grants and stuff if you were if you were working that class and, you know, that's, that's, that's never, never going to get that now no. not under this government or any fucking government that no. we, that we've got in there for you know it's not going to happen and I, and I you know i i just think to myself you know, we are in a we are in a really shit time for that because I find that the pain that you get from being a and the life experience you get from being a working class person that 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 needs to be
0: felt on screen and heard on screen. That needs to you feel that.
1: You well, those, see vo- that. those
0: voices aren't aren't there as much anymore. It's not. Uh, I mean, it's relevant more than any than any time, and it's not there on screen. We don't see. We don't see. You know. I mean. There's younger people listening to this who won't under- know what the play for today was, mm. and those great things where people yeah. went in and they shot for like a, a week or two yeah. weeks, and it's exactly what's going on in their life, and it's not there on the screen anymore. No, no,
1: not at all. And and I just feel like I mean, if I I often think like if I God, if I was a casting agent, I would just I'd go to schools, I would just go to schools, and I would just find
0: those. Well, I know kids. two I know two specific casting directors that that. Do that a lot, yeah. And they find raw talent. The raw talent. They find the Thomas Turguses. Yeah, they find yeah. those people. Yeah,
1: it's so important. And and then when and when you wa- when you do watch a film with a Thomas Turgoose in it, you go fucking hell. Where's he from? <laughs> hey, look at him. He's just he's just spitting reality. Yeah,
0: brilliant. You know, and he reminds it reminds me so and so around the corner. It's exactly yeah. who he is. I bump into that kid every day. I know who
1: he is. Yeah, so we can connect with that. And 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 also, I think that it's so important that because let's face it. Most of the people in this country are working class, so so they should they should be being they shouldn't be being patronised with shit like Towie and you know Gemma from fucking Towie and shit like that. They should be they should be educated with stories that they can identify with that are real, you know, and that that, and that they shouldn't be being patronised. They they need drama. That's
0: who they should be looking up to, not the other reality stars on the Instagram with a sex pack. Yep, no, not at all. And I just think that's the kind of thing that
1: we're we're what are, what are we spitting out to these kids now we're saying like you know what if you want to be if you want the easy route of like fucking fame and cars and money and coochie loafers and da, 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 then then watch tali and be like them you know watch geordie shaw be like them we we should be saying no do you know what be cool be working class be clever like them like them like him like her you know we should be actually giving them it's not championing mediocrity yeah you know, and I've and I, I I've got two little kids. I've got two little girls, and a my this weird conversation with my daughter the other day. She said, "I want to be an influencer," and I was like, "What? What are you talking about, influencing?" She went, "Yeah, a oh, YouTube influencer." She went, "I'll earn more money than you, dad, and yeah. and get more followers than you." And she was talking, and this is a seven year old.
0: Kevin, my seven, I couldn't year believe old it. More or less, said exactly the same thing to me. He went, "I want to be a YouTuber." And my heart, it's terrifying. Yeah. That is fucking terrifying. Yeah. That may sound like an well, old, it's, well, old it's man. but it's
1: terrifying because what well, I just said earlier in the interview is at four years old watching the fucking Goonies, I wanted to be one of the Goonies. Yeah. And if I was four years old and I'd seen YouTube and I'd wanted to be a YouTuber, that's what I'd have fucking been. Yeah. And if you watch this actual, the content that's on this stuff, it's shit and it's got nothing in it. And, the, and it's like crack to the kids, and it's given them nothing but, basically, eating disorders. Yeah. You know, that's what it's given them.
0: Oh, I've had to stop it. I've had yeah. to just cut it out.
1: I, I, not... I, reckon that our, I reckon that our generation of our kids, I reckon they're going to get older, and they're going to... This, all this computer stuff, I reckon they're going to... It's going to be like meat. <laughs> you know, like, it'll <laughs> be like new veganism. <laughs> it's going to be like, what, screens? No, 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 they're gone. Because remember, they just... Killed everyone in the fucking two thousands. I I honestly think that's what it will be. What did you say to your daughter when she said that? I just smacked her. No,
0: no. <laughs> I punched her in <laughs> I the smack, face. I smacked her and
1: I tied her upside down on the washing <laughs> line until she stopped crying. No, I um no, I, I I just said to her, "You're right." I said, "You're right." They, you probably will earn more money than me, um, but it won't be very interesting, and, and it's it won't not, last. And it, and it won't last. But I just said, and also, well, it's that difficult conversation is because when you're a kid. I remember all I wanted to do was eat sweets and be richy-rich. Really, that's that's, that's the life I wanted. And now I'm getting older, I'm thinking, I want less and less as I'm getting older, because I just want to be happy, you know? Yeah. And that's really what I think we all want to be now,
0: you know? Well, that's all it is, isn't it? Yeah, I just want to go on holiday with my kids. I just want to relax and be happy. Yeah. And, and just step out from the world just a little bit because yeah. it can just be too much. Well, and, it, it is toxic for me. I mean, you've moved out. I yeah. know
1: you've, you're you're out of you're out of London, and I. I mean, I'm a Londoner, and I I moved out. I lived in Brighton for 16 years, and then that became London, and then I and then I got out of there, and I now live in Worthing on the on the on the beach, and I need that because when we're not working, which most of the time we aren't, yeah. You know, I need to be out of the toxicity of And I need to this. not think about
0: it. Yeah. I, I, I can't have it there, right yeah. in my face, all the time, because that's all I'm constantly thinking about.
1: And, and that's why I left the, the States. That's why I left Los Angeles, because I just got sick and tired of people talking about this all the time. When did you go out there? I made a, I made a TV programme with Rebel Wilson called Super Fun Night. And yeah. um, made it for ABC. And we did a series out there. And I lived out there for a, for a year with my wife and kids. And my wife's not an actress, and and she just hated it. And and I was just constantly there's a there's a thing with LA. You feel like downtime's wasted if it's not at some opening of an envelope. You know, everyone's out all the time. It's a very good place to get things done because everybody's switched on to work. I remember I had a meeting with Michael Keaton and Mel Gibson in the same day because I had a film script that I wanted to pitch to them. And it just happened in a day. I met them both in a day. It was amazing. And I remember thinking, God, if I wanted to get two actors of a similar standing in the, in the UK, it would it would never happen. It would never, ever happen. I'd never get those actors Well, there probably talks the... about
0: it and it would go on for months and months and then it would never happen. It
1: would just never happen because, yeah. because the reason it wouldn't happen is because they're too busy with their normal lives to actually come and meet this unheard of writer who's got this idea film script thing that but whereas in LA nobody wants to miss a beat just in, just case, in case it's it could, the big one it could be the one yeah, yeah. and uh and, and so from a work perspective it's great but if you're trying to bring kids up normally you know and you don't want them to sort of you, you just want to have some kind of thread of normality in your life it's very hard to replicate that in Los Angeles and and also, it's hard again. As I say, it's hard to be present as a parent. I think when yeah. you're out there because you're just constantly chasing the dollar all the time. And so, did that take over like, you a little tea. bit? Or it takes did... over everyone. I mean, listen, I liked it because I like working. But that's the thing. I think we, as actors, we can be quite blinkered to what's really going on because we're chasing that carrot all the time. You know, that's nat- our natural instinct is to chase that carrot. Whereas our partners, if they're not an actor, then. They, they're they the ones that sniff the bullshit quicker than anyone. Yeah. Because they're like, well, hang on a minute. Well, they can see it. Yeah, what the fuck are you, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And I remember sitting in te- with the, in front of the telly with my missus one night in Los Angeles, and she went, are you all right? you see a bit? And I went, no, I'm all right, I'm okay. I'm just feeling a bit, um, I'm all right, I'm all right. She went, what's the matter? I went, I just feel like I'm wasting my time a bit sitting here watching this. Oof. And she was like, you're you're sitting with me watching telly and uh, it's your Thursday night. I said, well, I just feel like I should be, because there's this thing on and, and so-and- and it's ridiculous because it, it basically meant i had no downtime and my mind was never off and when my wife called time on la which i think was the right move and we came back and i thought she was right you know because i'm i'm actually happy now and i knew so many people over there that had very varying different degrees of success and the, the the people that i knew very famous very wealthy very successful I don't think they were very happy. Yeah. I really don't. And and for me now, that's kind of all that matters for me now, is just reaching that place where I feel, you know, happy and, and content with what I do. And I feel like I'm getting there with it, you know. It's a slow process like, though. It yeah. is. It is a slow process. But I just think as well, like, you have to... It, from, I'm only... I mean, I'm only 38, but but I feel like an older actor because I started so young. Yeah. So... I've been through the mill with all the emotions of acting quite early, you know, and when you're breaking into from being a child actor into being a, an adult actor, there's this interim where you're not a boy, you're not a man. So you're uncastable really. So you, you have to go through this transitional period, which is very difficult. And essentially you have to start again. So when I got to 18, it was almost like the, the career that I'd had, the, the, the eight-year career I'd had at that point meant nothing. All it was was experience. It, it meant it meant nothing to me going forward. I had to start again as a as an adult.
0: Well, it's a bit like going to America, unless you're honest, you, you're starting again. You are, which is a good thing, I think.
1: I mean, that was the good thing about L.A. was it was it was a clean page for me. Nobody nobody put me in a box. It was brand new. So even though I'd been in comedies and I would had a sketch show. People would, I mean, they would literally look at a piece of paper and they go, oh, great. You had your own show. Okay, cool. They didn't give a shit what it was about. it not mean anything to yeah, him, it, Yeah, it was called The Kevin Bishop Show and that's all they cared about. And so that was brilliant. So I was up there auditioning for dramas and, and I loved it because I thought, wow, they'll actually see me. Because, you know, in this country, the, that thing people would go, well, Kevin would be good for that. And they'll go, they'll say, oh, no, isn't, doesn't he do impressions? Yeah, he does that, doesn't he? Yeah, which is just like, that, that hurts me the most. Do you find it difficult to deal with that? Very, very, and I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be. Actually, and I don't think I don't think my agents over the years have realized because I would say to them, "Look, I can do comedy, right?" It's, it's, we it, know that. We know that. It's easy. That you know, it's easy. I, I want to do something else. I'm bored of doing that. I don't want to do that character again. I don't want to do. I don't want to do that. You know, and and so, and what amazes me is how casting directors will actually refuse to see you for it actually go we don't even want to see him (laughs) we don't even want him to sit in front of us for five minutes and read the fucking lines that's how much we think he's not right they've written you off you've never met them and i and that to me was a shock because i was always thinking if i was a cast i know it's tough tough for them but like i'd want to see that and i also i also fight feel for a lot of comedy actors who don't get the shot to, to, to try drama. Because I think, well, for me, comedy comes from a very dark place. And I think that people that are funny are sad. And it's the only way that you can... It's the only way you can
0: deal with life. And there's a great honesty in that as well. Yeah. And I always think that some of the greatest comedic actors over the years can switch. They can just do yeah. it. Because it's all placed in reality with the comedy... That can completely switch over into drama and it's real and it's truthful and it is sad.
1: Yeah. Well, I I just... I always... I always feel like anybody who is in comedy in one way or another is... is struggles. You know, they really struggle with, with, like... And that's their way of dealing with it. And my, my, my family are all very funny. They're all sort of frustrated comedians. And their thing is like, well, if you don't laugh, you cry. And it's true. It is true. It's fucking true. It's like, I'm the worst person to tell that your cat has died because... I find it very difficult sitting in sincerity because I'm, I, I, I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. With 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 sitting and and being sincere in that moment. So I my my immediate get out is to take the piss. Yeah. You know, because I can't cope with you being sad around me. You know, and I I'm fucking I'm scared of it. Yeah. And so that was my thing. When I was a kid, I was getting... I mean, I was bullied unmercifully as a kid. Like, it was... And I went to a really rough school and... Because and of being on the telly. Being on the telly. Yeah. I mean, it was so bad. There were kids from other other schools in different blazers waiting for me outside my school gates. And the bullies from my school were going, he'll be at me in a minute. Yeah, he's coming out here in a minute. Yeah, yeah, blonde prick. You'll see him. He's coming through. Like, it was like that. And I was running over the back over fields to get out. To, it was like fighting for my life. Jesus. And, um yeah and I just sort of and I, and that's when I, I'm sure that's when I got into comedy because it was like well I'm t- I'm not big enough to fight these kids um, and I can't have this I can't be getting bullied no. so the comedy came out and that's how I got my that's how I got got through it and they are like he's alright he's funny that was yeah. my thing you know because I wasn't the best footballer I wasn't the hard nut but I was funny you know
0: and you and just I, pull the rug out from underneath him and yeah go, oh well if they're not battering me, then I, at least I can make them laugh. Yeah, and that is, I suppose, subliminally how you sort of you, you,
1: blokes have all got their own way of being an alpha in one way or another, and 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 some guys will be, you know, walking and being the tough guy. Some guys will be this guy, whatever, and other guys will be funny. And and it is, and, and you know, it's it is a bit of a when when there's when it's funny people in the group, it's like oh oh my neck. <laughs> oh he's looking at me like he's rounding on me. It is. It's almost like it's almost like a sort of. Yeah, it's a power, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and and I think that that's that's the if you if you haven't if you are a small guy or whatever you are a sort of shy guy or whatever you, comedy can give you that little that little thing, a little edge, a little edge.
0: Yeah. Did were you approached to write your own show, or was that something you I, went? I've got to do this. I've I got never, to create my own stuff. I never
1: wanted to write. I, I mean, it was never it was never on my agenda at all. I just I just wanted to to be hired. As a as a as an actor, that's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. And then after we did did a show called Star Stories on Channel Four, and that was very successful. And and then they said, right, let's give this guy his own show. And then they offered me the Kevin Bishop show, and I had written this sort of sitcom outline what I wanted to do, and I, so I gave it to them. They went, yes, thanks for this. This is this is great. Um, no, no, it's something else, quite different. You're going to be doing a sketch show, um, famous people. And I said, "Ah, oh, I don't, I don't. Um,
0: Haven't I just done that, in I Star to to do that? I don't want
1: to do that. I don't want to do that." Well, that's the remit. That's what you're doing. And um, and so it was. That was it. Really? Yeah. And I, I didn't really have much of a say. And so then we had to come up with a format for this sketch show, which was a skybox. Yeah. And you know, you you chose. It, you, it was a fast-paced sketch show that wasn't really like. I never wanted to do something that was like quantity over quality, but that's what it ended up. and we did 50 sketches per 23 minute episode jesus and and i remember saying right so where's the writers they're like yeah well yes i wanted to talk to you about that because um we don't really have um the budget for a writing team as such so you're in there see you at six o'clock and i would just go into this room and having never written comedy or a sketch before in my life I had to come up with ideas and I was hiring my friends and family, paying them out of my own pocket to sit in a room with me and, you know, talk about our lives and make sketches and, and that's that's how it did. And I did it. And I actually wrote some of the best stuff I've ever written with my cousins. Really? And I was paying them 50 quid and buying them a sandwich at <laughs> lunchtime and they were made up because they were writing for a comedy show and, you know, and, and really we were being fucked over. Yeah. <laughs> but we also we did have sketches from other writers but i never had that thing where i could collaboratively sit with writers and write so maybe one or two i got like a one day with with, with great writers like i called les keen and and uh, you know i every now and nico tarowicz who's a brilliant writer i yeah. got i got the odd day where i could write with them but we were well, 350 sketches a series and had to write it in six weeks jesus can you imagine man. yeah
0: no i can't the I pressure can't imagine. yeah
1: and I, and it, I mean, if someone said to me now right we're going to make the kevin bishop show exactly how we made it which would never happen but like they said if we, we're going to do that exactly how we made it back in th- that day and we, i couldn't do it i don't phys- i don't mentally have the brain power to achieve it did you feel you lost control oh completely it wasn't my show I mean that's the truth of it, is that like I of course was a the name puppet. was there, but yeah. Yeah, I was a puppet. It was a it was a it was a Channel Four sketch show with my name wanked over it, really, is what it was. Albeit a very successful yeah. show. And yeah. I was really grateful that it propelled me and gave me a profile. But what it actually did, if I'm really honest, was it it took me away from what my original sort of path was, which was like you know, doing independent French movies, you know, and and drama, and, you know, I love doing star stories, but then it took me into impressions, which I used to do to make my mates laugh. My best impressions are not famous people, they're people that they're I the know. French, they're the French
0: teacher. They're the French yeah. teacher,
1: you know, that's what it is. So, I somehow got sidelined into, and I would, I never really like, I've never studied, an. The only, the only person I've ever studied their voice was Farage, to play Farage, yeah. the only one I've ever done. So, I couldn't really, I'm not as good as Rory Bremner or, you know, John Coulshaw. I'm not as studious as them, you know. But, I, but they're quite firmly impressionists. Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. And, I, and I don't think that I'm really like that. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an actor who can mimic people's voices. Kevin. Greg. You enjoyed that? Yeah. Did you? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> loved it.
0: Thanks so much, man. I no, loved it was that. It brilliant. brilliant. I loved it, yeah. And another episode is done, and what a gentleman Kev is! Um, I really enjoyed that. He's uh, there's no stopping Kev. He's such a ball of energy. I'm so thrilled that he had time to come on, and we've been meaning to do. It. We've been talking about it for ages, which is the case. So that's it. There's 86 episodes for you to dive into now. So go and route. Go, you know, you always go. I do as well. I do this you you dive into it with somebody that you know or somebody that you like. Um do us a favor. Hit download of somebody who you've never heard of, and maybe you'll be surprised. And maybe you'll uh, find a bit more about that person. And I think you'll probably enjoy it. Um right, well that's it. We're gonna go on a little holiday. You take care of yourself, stay sound, look after yourself. And, uh, yeah, we shall see you in a bit. Thanks so much for downloading. Until then, I've been Craig Parkinson, he's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Take it easy. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.